Welcome aboard the System76 transmission log. Our broadcast is about to begin. This is the latest on System76 computers, manufacturing, and Pop! OS. Now, for your in-orbit crew. So, Emma, I hear that you've been back at the factory with your team. Uh, how's that been going? It's been totally fun. We've uh, had a couple pizza parties. Um, I'm loving seeing everybody's face every day. We even had a silly string incident where we discovered that um, silly string doesn't come out of your beard very easily. Um, we've just been laughing a lot, so um, I've been having a great time. How about the marketing team? Marketing team's been uh, back at the office a little bit more too. We've uh, we've recently reworked our little marketing room and, and changed up the way that works. So to be a little more efficient, uh, pretty excited about that. I've also been working on getting review pangolins out to reviewers to take a look at. So of course I am basically over here biting my nails waiting for those reviews to come in because I'm really anxious to see what people have to say. I think it's a great machine, but uh, I, I'm really anxious to see what everyone else has to say about it. So that's really what's been going on uh, with the marketing department. I know that there's been some other news too, some pretty big news. Uh, do you want to jump us off into that? that news? Yeah, sure. Jeremy and Tim on our engineering team uh, fixed a critical bug this week in Coreboot. Um, it previously required us to disable S3 support. S3 or suspend to RAM is a type of suspend where the power to all the components shuts off except for the memory. And one of the huge side effects of this bug prevented us from disabling Intel's management engine. So with this bug fix, you can expect our new Raptor Lake models, including the new Adder, Gazelle, Oryx, and Serval, to ship with Intel's ME disabled. And uh, once firmware for the Raptor Lake models has been completed, we'll also be updating the firmware on our previous Alder Lake models, including the Darter Pro, Galago Pro, Lemur Pro, and Oryx models. And we'll have a link to that bug in the show notes. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. I'm sure that you guys get questions uh, from the support side of things about disabling Intel's management engine quite often. So sounds like this is the first step to getting us there. Yep. We hear about it all the time from our customers. So yeah, I love it. This is a big win for us. Huge win. I'm excited about it. Uh, big news, big news for sure. What's going on at the factory? Uh, well, recently I've had a chance to talk with Steph a little bit. For those of you that don't know, uh, Steph is our production manager. She runs the shop. She is an awesome lady and she does a lot. <laughs> but uh, that being said, she is also experimenting with other things to to make our processes uh, better in certain ways. Um, and one of those things that she's working with is this new process called Cerakote. Um, so right now we powder coat the majority of our parts for Thaleo and, and for launch keyboard. It's a great coating. It uh, performs fantastically. Uh, but we've recently been looking at Cerakote, which is a uh, a thin polymer ceramic coating, similar to powder coat, but it's it's much harder than powder coat is traditionally. And you'll often see it used in like the aerospace industry and uh, the automotive industry. So needless to say, it's a super duper strong finish. Um, they have a few parts uh, out now that they've tested with Cerakote uh, looking pretty good. I know that they're trying to get that dialed in uh, to make it even look a little bit better. 
And then we've also, you know, talking with Steph again and talking with, with Alex uh, at the factory, one of our machinists, we've been working on fully automating our CNC process. So right now we have uh, one of our CNC mills, a small guy. Um, we have him automated using a robotic arm uh, where he will pick, um, I'm referring to a robot like a person, where he will pick, uh, where the robot will pick uh, a piece of the material and then place it into the mill, let the mill do its job, get the part, rotate it over, mill the backside of the part. Um, and then once that part's done, it gets dropped into another caddy where finished parts go. So now we're working on automating the bigger mill and trying to get some of those additional parts like launch parts and stuff like that uh, automated out, which seems like it's going pretty good. Pretty excited. Every time I go into the factory, it's it's one step closer. So very cool to see those processes kind of coming together. Super interested to see how the Cerakote process is going to work out as well. There's also been, man, there's just been so much going on recently. Um, and I know that we've got some pop news as well. Do you want to kick us off with some of the pop news? Yeah, our engineering team has been heads down and hard at work at building our next level desktop environment called Cosmic. This month, we have a bunch of news to talk about. So as you can imagine, um, a lot of work is going into Cosmic. This month, our commonly used applets have been undergoing a lot of refactoring. The applets include the audio, battery, Bluetooth, graphics, network, notifications, power, time, and workspace. So we've also taken some time to remove unused dependencies, which should also reduce the overall size of the installation image. That's pretty cool. That's a, uh, I mean, it seems like something that's obvious that we need to work in and uh, work in to be refactored and rewritten in Rust. Um, I, it's really interesting to me to see all of these little pieces of the, the operating system starting to kind of come together, everything starting to kind of fall into place. Another thing that we've been working on I'm super excited about this. I, okay. Maybe I'm giving a, a little bit away here that maybe I'm a little too nerdy, but uh, I am pretty excited uh, about the fact that we're working on our own text editor. So for me, this is a pretty big thing. The UX team has been gathering a lot of data from Pop! OS users internally from us. I know that I met with Maria and the team and they were asking me, you know, what text editors do I use? Why do I use them? Why do I like them? Um, all of those sorts of things. So they've, they've taken all of this data and they've mocked up um, a text editor. Uh, that will be featured in Cosmic, and it, it looks really awesome so far. I'm super excited to to see once it all starts getting fleshed out what it's going to look like. Right now, it's gone from mock-up to kind of initial design stage, so we now have a functional application that we can that we can work in, um, that we can build on top of. Um, I expect that to you know continue to kind of just skyrocket as far as development goes. And I know, I know there's probably going to be some people out there that are like, Oh, why another text editor application? Uh, I think that's a good point uh, for a lot of people. But I think that um, for me, when you look at other desktop environments, um, you see that they have kind of a, a group of applications, right? They have, you know, just your, your basic kind of applications. And I think that that's what people expect whenever they enter a desktop experience uh, that they will get some of these basic applications. The text editor is pretty useful <laughs> as a default application. So I'm excited to see this getting pushed a little bit further. I'm excited to see where the team takes it, um, everything that will be included in it. 
Uh, and obviously we'll have a link into the show notes uh, directly to that GitHub page where you can go and, and check that out as well. And I know that there's been some other beautification stuff going on in Pop! OS. So wallpapers. We're constantly getting feedback from our users. And one feature we've heard requested several times, the ability to set a custom wallpaper for each display on multi-display setups. So in Cosmic DE, you'll be able to set a single background, one per display, or cycle through multiple backgrounds as a slideshow. And you can even control how long each wallpaper stays on the screen before cycling to the next one. So that's a pretty exciting change. Um, If you have a a recent vacation, you want to show off your slideshow, um, have that cycling on your desktop and brag away. Yeah, I know that that's definitely a feature request that I've heard is being able to independently set wallpapers per displays. Uh, I I love that the team has also decided to add a slideshow feature in there because exactly like you said, right? Like you recently, just this past year, went to Hawaii. You could put all your photos up from Hawaii and slideshow through and relive that experience or uh, let your coworkers relive that experience without doing the super weird awkward family photo thing where you're trying to show everyone your photos from your vacation. Or you know what would be fun? Pictures from the zoo. Yeah. Because people go to the zoo and they take like a thousand pictures and then they probably don't look at them. If you were to put them on your desktop in a slideshow, I think you'd look at them more. Definitely. I wonder, hmm, that makes me curious. Could we, could we go get pictures of like lemurs and and gazelles and gazelles and just rotate them out uh yeah this is a super exciting one and also i know that there's a we'll have in the show notes as well for this uh, a link to the github so if you want to go there and check out some of the the demos and and kind of mock-ups that we have going there you can go in there and dive in and and kind of see how things are set up so yeah and um in addition to our github you can go ahead and check out our blog for more in-depth information it's blog.system76.com alex has done a fantastic job compiling a full list of what we've been working on so before we head into the interview we do have a pop tip do you want to let us know what our pop tip for this month is emma Yeah, we're going to be talking about switching between workspaces. So you can easily switch between workspaces using four fingers to swipe up or down through your workspaces. No trackpad, fear not. You can also use control plus super and the up or down arrows to quickly navigate between your workspaces. A great pop tip. It's something that I use every single day. Adam, I heard you um, had a visit with Starfire Energy this week. Yeah, I got to I got a chance to visit with Joe Beach, the CEO. Ironically enough, they're right around the corner from the factory. They're literally like eight blocks away from us. That's fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, great guy. Had an opportunity to, to have a, a great little interview with him. So join with me today is Joe Beach from Starfire Energy. He's the CEO and co-founder. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, I... Uh as you said, I'm, I'm a CEO and co-founder of Starfire Energy. My, my background, I uh, have a PhD in applied physics. Um, I uh, worked in uh, solar energy uh, right after that, right after I got that degree. I've also worked as a research faculty in academic institutions. Um, have also installed solar panels. So I've kind of got solar from the sweating your butt off on the roof, clear through to, you know, doing work in the lab, uh, you know, and all points in between. And that led us into uh, some sustainable fuels work that we're uh, doing right now at Starfire. 
Well, and, and to, to lead into that, so I know that you, you had kind of explained Starfire has done some solar work and stuff like that, and now you're moving into synthesizing things, specifically uh, ammonia for the use of uh, as, as a renewable energy source. Can you tell a little bit about maybe maybe not so much the process, but how ammonia is a renewable energy, how it impacts as a renewable energy? Yeah, yeah. So ammonia, it's really known as a, a fertilizer and, and um, a, a nitrogen fertilizer in particular. So ammonia has a, a nitrogen atom and three hydrogen atoms. And so when, when it comes to agriculture, it's all about that nitrogen. When it comes to fuel, it's all about that hydrogen. So you can think of it as a way to store hydrogen much more densely and in much easier storage conditions, you know, uh, lower pressure, uh, more reasonable temperatures, things like that. But in the end, you can make it without using any carbon uh, materials. And when you burn it, you make nitrogen and water. So there's no CO2 anywhere in the process. And that's what makes it so it's a really good uh sustainable fuel that, that has no, uh, uh, climate impact. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, it's legitimately, you're burning off everything, but you're not left with any carbon. You're not left with any, anything to pollute or damage the environment at all. Yep. That's exactly right. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, one thing that I've been told is that you guys use Linux across the board at Starfire. Um, how has that process been for you, and uh, where do you see that process going in the future? Uh, yeah, we do. It, it's uh, and that that comes from my background. I uh, um, got into using Linux when I was in grad school. You know, first installation was probably around 1998 or so, and I uh, have been using it as my primary desktop OS since then. So when we uh, decided to uh, move Starfire in the direction of uh, this uh, sustainable fuels work and knew we were going to be hiring people and, and, and doing a lot of uh, R&D. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was uh, use Linux as the main operating system for the company. And, and, you know, part of it was my own experience with it. I knew it could be used very well on the desktop because I had been doing it for decades at that point. Um, and part of it was also just over the years, I'd had a number of people tell me, you really can't do that, Joe. And I wanted to show him, well, yeah, you can. And you touched on earlier that, that, and I love this, that you started using Linux in 1998. Um, do you remember, I'm going to flashback to the past here. Do you remember which Linux distribution you were running? And do you remember what type of hardware you were running that on top of? So the first one I installed, I honestly don't remember for sure what distribution. I think it was SCO, but it was one that I I went to a bookstore uh, and bought a Linux book, and it had in the back cover of the book a CD that you could install from. And um, yeah, just just looking back, I think that was SCO. Uh, shortly after that, um, I, I went to a Red Hat. Uh, distribution, you know, at that time, I think it was just called Red Hat. Uh, and, um, you know, over the years I used that, you know, Red Hat became Fedora and Fedora became very bleeding edge. And, you know, at one point it became a little too bleeding edge. And so then I went to Debian. Then I ended up at Ubuntu and, and for the most part, we've been on Ubuntu since then. So 
being that you come from kind of the same era as me as starting your Linux journey, um, I know I had some struggles originally installing Linux on hardware specifically. How has that changed for you? I mean, I would assume you've noticed the, a huge change in that. The ones that you could get to install is the one that you ran. <laughs> yeah, but I remember a, another grad student back at that time. You know, he referred to it as the "Can you install Debian?" test. Yeah, because once you install it, then you just upgrade it forever. But you got to install it first. Uh, but um, it was I. I know um, you know I was a postdoc around 2005, and. It was a little before that where I, I, I was having to install Linux. I was having to install Windows on various computers. And right around in there is when I realized it's a lot easier to install Linux than it is to install Windows. Uh, you know, where, you know, the, the installers just had come so far on Linux. And, you know, whereas with Windows, you'd be going through the reboot hell you know, of every time a new driver had to be installed, you know, you know, it was another reboot. And whereas in Linux, it was, you know, install from the CD or USB, whichever. And, and pretty much one reboot later, you have a working system. And so, you know, it, it was easier after that. And, and thanks for, for leading into the next question. Cause I was going to ask, um, why did you decide to adopt System76 hardware into Starfire Energy's workflow? We started doing that in 2016 when we started into the renewable fuels, the ammonia fuel work, and you know we had a budget to buy new. You know, prior to that, it was you know doing all the recycled hardware I could find, and, and we wanted something. We knew we were going to be buy laptops and. If you're going to have a hardware issue, it's going to be with a laptop. You know, right. uh, they're, they're, they do have, you know, things that are specifically built for Windows and some hardware. Um, and so we, we started looking for, uh, you know, options that we knew would work well. At that time, pretty much it was either Linux certified or System76. And... Uh, System76 had a better selection of hardware, honestly. And kind of dovetailing into to that question, what type of hardware is, is what type of hardware from System76 is Starfire using? Mostly laptops uh, at this point. Uh, originally, I was buying Oryx Pros all the time, and in particular with the 17-inch screen, because to me that, you know, I, I like big screens uh, on, on the laptop. We now, we also have pangolins and even lemurs. And that's actually been an evolution for me because, you know, when, when we first started buying, you know, I, I, like I said, I got the Oryx Pro uh, with good computing resources and a big screen. And I got that for people because I assumed, well, hey, it's what I like. It's what they're going to like too. And later I found out, well, no, actually some people like the smaller screen, they, you know, the, the lighter weight, the longer battery life and, and so on. And, and so and we're going to the more models be, so we can suit people's tastes better uh, in that regard. Yeah, I would say, I mean, definitely if you're kind of bouncing between meeting to meeting um, and you need just something to, to last all day and uh, you don't need a high level of compute um, such that you need a, a separate GPU to do that level of work. I mean, I, I personally love carrying around a lemur kind of for that reason alone. Um, 
the Oryx is, is, is definitely a powerful machine and can do a lot of crunching, uh, especially with those GPUs in there. Right. And, and the first people we were hiring were all engineers and there's a fair bit of CAD work they were going to be doing. And, and so that drove some of that decision making. And, and now, yeah, we have, um, office staff and, and, uh, people that aren't doing, yeah, I mean, they're, they're mainly doing office work with, you know, web browser and, and LibreOffice and, and, uh, yeah, the computing needs are not all that high and, and they like the portability of the, the lemur in particular. And, and again, thanks for kind of, uh, driving me to the next question here. Um, how do new employees react whenever you issue them, uh, a, a laptop that, that runs Linux or a piece of hardware that runs Linux. Is there a lot of kind of blowback from that? Or do you see that most people adopt it relatively easy? From what I've seen, people adopt it relatively easily. Um, certainly in our earlier hiring, when I was actually the IT guy at that time, I remember a few comments. Uh, one was, a guy that had come from Exxon and, and he, he just remarked that, wow, this is really snappy. You know, it, it, it you know, things happen fast on here. And I imagine it's because, you know, he had half of his CPU being used by antivirus software at Exxon, whereas on ours, you know, that's pretty low overhead on, on the computer uh, with Linux. And then another guy that just was amazed at the capabilities that were in the repos of free software. So what would you say to other CEOs, other business owners out there that may be considering adopting Linux into their workflows, whether that be on the desktop or kind of in a server capacity, would you, would you, would you hesitate to advise them to make that leap or? Honestly, I encourage them to do it. I, uh, I mean, the reasons we're doing it, uh, you know, I, yes, I, had that background of using, you know, Linux for myself. But, um, if you're concerned about data privacy and data access in the long term, you want to be using open source software and, 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 you know, free software, uh, that you can have the many eyeballs looking at it. You know, you can, uh, be much more certain that, that there are no back doors in it or anything like that. You know, one of the things I just, ask them to think about really is, you know, what's, what's the world you want to live in? Do you really want Google to be looking at every one of your emails and, and uh, your drawings if you're using their, their, uh, or their, their, your project management, you know, uh, data and so on. Um, I'd, I'd put that out there for them. There is a, uh, a financial cost savings to be had. Yes. But there's also, um, looking at the ubiquity of computing, you know, and what we do, uh, you know, who, who do you want to be in control of that? You know, how, how beholden do you want to be to a, a company that, uh, well, like to me that the, the CAD companies are, are the most egregious, uh, you, you can't own the software you, you have to lease it. And if you don't pay, then you don't, have access anymore. And so you can't look at your data files from three years ago because you don't have a license anymore. And whereas with uh, free and open source software, 
you have that software, you have it forever, you know, you can run it on a virtual machine, you know, or whatever you want to do. And so all your data is truly yours. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's really important to me. To actually own your data and be able to pull up a drawing from 15 years ago if you need and not have to worry about, do we have a machine that has a valid license to even be able to access this content? So yeah. great point. Great point. Um, what's, what's on the horizon for Starfire Energy? What are you guys working on next? Um, well, for us, it's all about getting into manufacturing. Uh, so that, that is the drive and, you know, we'll be, we want to be in manufacturing in 2026. So we want an actual assembly line plant, uh, that builds the hardware for making ammonia, uh, from renewables and also builds hardware for using that ammonia as a fuel for power generation, for, uh, heating of various sorts, even for mobility, uh, you know, transportation aspects. So our success has us being an, and honestly, an industrial company where, where we're making big things out of steel and shipping, shipping them around the world. And they sit in the field for 20, 30, 40 years doing their job. And, and so that's what we want to be. How can our listeners get a hold of you guys if they wanted to kind of uh, reach out to Starfire or if they wanted to learn a little bit more about Starfire, where could they go to, to find that information out? Oh, honestly, our, our website's the, the place to get us. Uh, so that's, you know, starfireenergy.com. And there's, um, you know, there's a contact page that you can use to, you know, get an email to us. Um, that, that's the most straightforward way really to, to get us. Um, and with that, I'd like to thank you for the interview today. Um, I can't wait until, you know, this is our first interview of, of the podcast. Um, I can't wait until maybe we're down the road a year and then we can bring you back in to, to talk to you again to kind of see where Starfire is at. But uh, I really do appreciate you coming in, Joe. And um, I look forward to, to working with you and continue to work with you. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks. has been the System76 Transmission Log. For more inspiration, check out the website and follow us on social media. On your descent back to Earth, please keep your hands and feet inside the transport beam at all times. Captain Sinoff, in transmission. 